bequeathed to those he was leaving behind. Here in the upper room discourse of John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, that's what the, the series will encompass, he has this final opportunity to share knowledge, to impart wisdom, to illustrate powerful truths to the men who had sat under his tutelage for three long years. And it's also what he wanted to bequeath to us some 2,000 years later. Last week was the beginning of the series, and we looked at what we could learn from Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but we learned five lessons from the disciples' dirty feet. Number one was Jesus is Lord and Master. That's why the illustration, that's why the object lesson was so significant. Because Jesus, the Lord and Master, was, was washing my feet. Number two, there's, there's no task too menial for the servant of God. Number three, keep yourselves clean and unspotted from the world. Number four, we learned that unity is essential. The lesson was, Jesus said, I washed your feet, now you should wash one another's feet. Not, it wasn't, I washed your feet, now you should wash my feet. It was, I washed your feet, now you should wash one another's feet. And number five, in order to be happy, he said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. In order to be happy, you'll have to serve. What is it Jesus is looking to leave the disciples here in John chapter 13. Today we begin in verse 31. In these final hours, in these final moments with those he invested so much into, what was he so desperate to convey? These, this would be their marching orders. This would be the assignment that they would be responsible to carry out. And through the trickle-down effect, there are our marching orders too. This is the task that we've been given. This is the mission that we've been entrusted with. So let's listen closely to the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Today we begin in John 13, beginning in verse 31. I'm going to read through verse 35, so just four or five short verses. I want to welcome our live stream Viewers, what a, what, a, what a great vehicle to share the gospel, the live stream. I'm so thankful uh, for the technology that's available. Perhaps there's people that are a long way away. I know we have people that listen across the miles, and I'm always amazed. And I'm thankful if somebody's unable to attend that they have this. Uh, but we really, our heart's desire is that one day you would be here with us. Uh, the message is one thing. Uh, there's a lot more that happens here than, than just the message. And uh, so I'm thankful that you're listening via the live stream. Make an effort to get to church. We would love to have you. John 13, 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, so now I say to you, back up just a little bit, yet a little while I am with you, so now I say to you, verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus knew exactly where he was on the timeline of his life and his ministry here on earth. He knew this was his final opportunity to impart something meaningful to the men who had worked alongside him, the men who would be entrusted to carry on the work. The heart of the marching orders he left behind are found in verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. These would be the marching orders of what would become known as the church. Love one another as I have loved you. But how does it play out? I mean, beyond the words. We know the words. How does it play out beyond the words? What does it look like in real life? Well, here are some ways that we can love one another. Number one, encourage one another. Encourage each other. One of my favorite Bible guys is Barnabas. He's called the son of consolation in Acts 4.36. And consolation means encouragement. Did you ever notice that when you were a kid and your team lost the first game in the tournament, they stuck you in the consolation bracket? We used to call it the loser's bracket. But to soften the blow a little, they call it the consolation bracket. Yeah, it means you lost, but don't go home yet. We'll, we'll let you play another game or two. And you can be encouraged or consoled. I think we need more encouragers in the world, do you? And, and yes, we need them at church, for sure. But where we really need them is in the workplace, and in the marketplace, and in the neighborhood. Come on. The book of Acts introduces us to a Levite from Cyprus at the end of chapter 4. His name is Joseph, but he becomes known to us as Barnabas. Now, depending on your Bible translation, Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement or the son of consolation or the son of exhortation. I love this guy. I love this guy. The first time we hear of him, Barnabas, he's selling a parcel of land so that the money could be distributed amongst the needy. And that's the event, just as a small digression, that's the event that precedes the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Several other incidents in the book of Acts portray Barnabas as an advocate defending someone who's not trusted or who has 
fallen out of favor. It was Barnabas, for example, who stood up for John Mark and encouraged Paul to take him on his second missionary journey even after Mark had abandoned the first missionary journey. Barnabas was so passionate in his defense of Mark, it led to a contention between him and Paul, between Barnabas and Paul, that actually they had to part company and go in in separate directions. Mark eventually proved himself worthy and goes on to write the Gospel of Mark and is mentioned as a companion and a co-worker of Paul and travel companion three times in Paul's later epistles. The encouragement of Barnabas lifted Mark to new heights. Ironically, earlier, Paul was the beneficiary of support and encouragement from Barnabas. Paul, then known as Saul of Tarsus, had vigorously persecuted Christians. He was a feared adversary of those involved in the infant church. The Bible records he was present at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Acts 8 and 9 tell us that Paul, or Saul at this time, traveled to Damascus on a mission to arrest people who proclaimed Christianity. Ironically, it was on this journey that Saul encounters Christ. But when Saul returned to Jerusalem to get involved in ministry now as a Christian, the disciples were afraid of him, according to Acts 9.26, and that's when Barnabas stepped in on Paul's behalf. He stood by him when, as of yet, no one else believed in him. Barnabas saw the potential in Saul as he later saw the potential in John Mark. Barnabas had a quality that I admire greatly. He had the ability to see the best in people. He looked beyond the immediate situation. He looked beyond the past, beyond the problem. He peeled back layers and he saw the inner person and the story that would lie beneath the surface. Barnabas saw value beyond failure. He did not see a mistake in the past as the end of the story. Come on, church. It's a great quality to have. I want to be a Barnabas. And if we're going to be like Jesus, and if we're going to love like Jesus loved, then that must be a characteristic we possess. Jesus saw the best in an extortioner named Zacchaeus. He sent the woman at the well back home to tell others of her encounter with him. And even the woman caught in the very act of adultery was left with hope and not condemnation. Peter was never abandoned by Jesus, even though he denied he even knew him. Jesus always saw the best in people. Does that describe us? Are are we encouragers? We, We should be. It's part of what it means to love one another as Jesus loved us.
There are lots of people out there who will bring you down. You don't have to look too hard for those. Let's be the ones who raise the tide. When we encourage others, they begin to see their value. They begin to work harder and they begin to expect more. Listen, the world will suck the courage right out of you. It's us. It's the church that should be inspiring people to overcome obstacles, to endure adversity, to fulfill potential, to aspire to greatness, and to conquer demons. It's the church that should be sending the message that today is a new day. The church ought to be less concerned with where you've been, and they should be more concerned with where you're going. Yes, you may have failed. Yes, you may have struggled, but failures do not have to define you. That's the message of the church. At least it should be. You were supposed to be life-giving. We're supposed to be hope-providing and joy-producing and peace-supplying and grace-giving. After all, if God is for us, the Bible says, then who can be against us? You are not who you used to be. You are who he says you are. That, let that encourage you. And then use that to encourage others. Be a Barnabas. Be a son of consolation. Be an encourager. Now another aspect of, of how to love is, is to pray for one another. I like the way Matt had us pray for one another today. What if we were the kind of church... That just stopped one another in the coffee shop, in the hallway, and we asked, how can I pray for you? And what if while you were at home, what if we were at home praying, and we asked God to reveal someone in our church family, reveal someone to us that we could pray for? And what if we called them and said, you know, God laid you on my heart. How can I pray for you? What if we decided to risk the imposition? What if we were willing to push past the inhibition? What if we were willing to just call and ask, how can I pray? What if we carried one another's burdens and shared each other's load? We have Thursday noon prayer every week right here in the sanctuary. It's a, it's a handful of people, sometimes a few more. And sometimes we'll just lead out in prayer for people in the congregation. Not, not those with uh, immediate needs, not necessarily those who are in the midst of adversity, but just as God lays you on our heart, we pray. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2 says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, I think a church motivated by the love of Jesus will pray for each other. Can I ask you to do that? Not just for the people you know, not just for the people that you're familiar with, not just for your inner circle, but, but for anyone that God lays on your heart. In your, in your program, there's a, a sheet that looks like this. Would you, would you grab that? And I'm going to fill mine out if I... I'm going to grab a pen here. And, and I want you to know what's going to happen with this before you turn it in. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And 
When you're done filling this out, I would like you to pass it to the middle. And then I'm going to have the ushers collect them, and they're going to hand them to people after church. Okay, so just be aware that this will get handed to somebody. Um, they're going to do their best to hand a man's prayer request to a man. Okay? And a woman's prayer request to a woman. But here's, here's the, so there's a space for prayer requests there. Write that in there. There's your name, your phone number, email. You can put any of that that you want. You don't have to put anything. But I would like it, if, if you get a prayer request on your way out, that you call that person or you email them and you say, hey, I got your name and your prayer request. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Is there anything else I can pray for? So there is a box there. Please keep it confidential. It should be confidential anyway. But again, keep in mind that these are being handed out, okay? So let's take a minute to do that. Write your name on there if you, again, you don't, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything. And then your, your phone number or your email. Maybe you don't want to give out your phone number. I'll give out mine. I'm writing my prayer request. We need uh, some background music, some uh, for the for the audience at home. I'm going to ask the ushers to come, and uh, Jack, I'll give this to you. And again, they'll separate them back there into, to the men and women. So pass them to the middle so that the ushers can get them. I really hope you participate in this. And then when you get that home, that you reach out to somebody this week and say, Hey, I got your name. I got your prayer request. How else can I, can I pray for you? So keep working on that. I'm going to move on in my in my sermon here, but I really believe a church motivated by love will pray for each other. I believe those were the marching orders that he left us with. Another aspect to our love is we will hang out together. Now again, perhaps connect groups can help with this. Over the course of the next 10 weeks, we can get to know someone. But again, it takes someone to risk. It takes someone to risk the awkwardness and someone to, in, to risk inviting someone over or inviting someone out. Uh, or after church, you can take the step of inviting someone to hang out with you. It may take more than one invite. It may not get reciprocated the way you think it should. Okay, A lot of times people invite someone out and then they never get invited out. You know what? It's hard work. Building relationships is hard work. You have to be intentional about it. In most cases, it won't just happen on its own. But my hunch is there are people out there who want to hang out and they're just waiting to be asked. I love it when we do things that build relationships. I love it when the moms, the mops moms, have play days here at church. 
I love it when our college students do their, do their homework here. Maybe we could have a ret- retired group of guys that, that meet here at church and encourage one another. Or how about a support group for the hurting? Or just a place and a time to hang out. We'll be a better church if we become better at building relationships. We need each other. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to tell us. Jesus understood that well. That's why he said, love one another as I have loved you. We also demonstrate love, number four, when we serve together. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in the anatomy of a volunteer message, so I won't belabor the point too much. I want... I I say it that way to acknowledge that I am going to belabor it a little. But there there are ways to serve together here at church. And that's why we had the ministry fair a couple weeks ago. We want you to get involved and build relationships. Working side by side with another believer will make you a better person, a better member of the church, and a better Christian. That's what it did, and it continues to do for me. Now, now, allow me to digress back to the ministry fair. I think it was a tremendous success, mostly because Rhonda told me to put tablecloths on the tables. They would have been just naked tables back there. And Rhonda says, you need tablecloths on there. Come on, man. So it was a tremendous success. But two ministries that I, that I hoped would get a good response and didn't, and many of the other ministries did, but two that I thought would and didn't were the parking lot greeters and the gatekeeper's prayer ministry. <clears throat> I think that we should have six or eight parking lot greeters every Sunday. I, I think the whole parking lot should be filled with people in, are they yellow shirts or green shirts? I call them, they're, they're yellow? They're yellow. I called them green. I got yelled at uh, by people in the congregation last time. So apparently they're yellow. I think they're green, but that's just me. I think we should have six or eight parking lot Greeters. Now, you're not a parking attendant. You're not parking cars for people. You're not telling people where to park. You're just smiling and waving. If somebody needs help, you help them. Um, but you're just there to smile and greet. It's a blast. I love being out there. We need more parking lot greeters. Lots more. So, Bethany and Josh, are you back there somewhere? Where are you? There they are. They're right back there. Or you can check the box on the back of your connection card. And we'll get a hold of you. But Bethany and Josh head that ministry up for us. Or check the box. We'll contact you. And then there's the gatekeepers. Now, now just think. There are gatekeepers praying every Sunday from 10 to 10.30 during the, the coffee time hour. Just prior to the service. And if you sign up for that ministry, you're assigned one week a month. Where your team prays. Sue Stoltz. Is, where's Sue? Is weird. There's Sue right there. You can talk to her, ask her questions about that, or you can check the box on the back of the connection card today saying, I want more information, or I'm interested in being a part of the gatekeeper's prayer ministry. You just cannot have enough prayers. What amazing ministries 
These are. You get to serve side by side other people. You'll get to know them and you'll build meaningful relationships and you'll be making a difference. It doesn't get any better than that. Now another aspect to serving could come out of, of the connect groups. Now what if connect groups did their 10-week study and then instead of a long break, they would embark on a community service project of some sort? I think that would be amazing. Serving together would both demonstrate love and inspire us to, to love each other. So let's review where we are today. Uh, how do we love each other? Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Hang out together. Serve together. And we can't forget, number five, we can't forget how important it is to forgive one another. Jesus understood all too well if a house be divided against itself, it cannot stand. The enemy knows that too. The beginning of, of division is found in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness takes hold and it becomes embedded as a, as a root of bitterness. And when it does, we begin to look at each other differently. And then your camp and my camp become polarized. Soon it becomes us and them. And eventually, we're a house divided. Jesus envisioned a church united. In order for us to be united, we have to be able to forgive each other. Listen, in a closed setting, and, and in, in a lot of ways this is a closed setting, right? I mean, anybody can come, but you know, it's a closed setting in, in some respects, like a job, like a family, like a, like a church. In, in a closed setting, there will be offenses, okay? We rub shoulders a lot, we're together a lot, and there will be offenses, I can promise you. It happens in families all the time. Conflict happens when you are close. Conflict happens when you are close. It's inevitable. The question is more about dealing with conflict in a healthy way and learning to truly forgive. I know I've offended and hurt some of you over the years. I get, I get calls. Every once in a while I get a call during the week. I'm confronted occasionally in the hallway. Sometimes, too. Uh, and I'm sure there are some that I've, that I've hurt and have just never said anything. And I understand why, why you're hurt, whether you called or talked to me in the hall or didn't say anything. I really do understand. You're passionate and you care. And that makes you vulnerable. Or perhaps I made a decision somewhere along the way that you disagreed with or somehow it hurt you or maybe it left you out. Can I ask you to forgive me? I can honestly say I've not done anything out of malice or hate. I've been far from perfect. And I know some things that I said or some things that I did were hurtful to some. 
Sometimes it was what I said or, or maybe the decision that was made. Other times it was how it was said or how it was carried out. Can I ask you to forgive me? Life can be difficult. And we've all been hurt. But we need to forgive each other. You see, the enemy wants you to hold a grudge. The enemy wants me to hold a grudge. The enemy wants us to, to hold on to those grudges. He wants you to carry the offense. But the marching orders of Jesus Christ say something different. Listen to Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if any man brings your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has ought against you. Now, let me stop right there. Take note that it doesn't say you have ought against your brother. So you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has ought against you. Leave your gift and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then, offer your gift. The devil wants us to withhold forgiveness. The devil wants us to build resentments. He wants us to be consumed with hate and anger. It takes work it takes effort to reconcile, but God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 17, just because this is a great verse and I don't want to skip over it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The Bible says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed, us, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the envoys. We are the representatives, the representatives of Jesus Christ. And unforgiveness just does not play well in a representative of Christ. Amen. Jesus is all about forgiveness and he's all about reconciliation. We must be also. We cannot hope to win people if, if our hearts contain even an ounce of unforgiveness, especially toward a brother or a sister. Jesus told us to love in the same way that he loves us. We need to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Now let me bring this to a close. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, which really means behavior, behavior or manner of life, in charity, in spirit, 
in faith, in purity. Be an example, it says, not to the believers. Be an example of the believers. Do you see the difference? The, to the world, we are examples of what a believer looks like. What will your distinguishing characteristic be? Maybe you watched the Super Bowl. Every team has an insignia or a, a logo, an identifying mark on the helmet. And by that, we can tell which team they're on. As Christians, what is our distinguishing mark? What is our distinguishing characteristic? What is it that identifies us as Christians? According to Jesus, it should be love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving each other is what identifies us as followers of Christ. And in the world in which we live, it's easy to see how that could be a winsome quality. We live in a we live in a hostile world. More than ever, we live in a hostile world. We, we're always pitted against someone, it seems. There's political differences and religious differences and different opinions about what's a priority and what's important. There's labor and there's management. There's all kinds of competition in the workplace. There are any number of divisions and differences that divide us. If somehow the world could see that we love each other. It may just appeal to them. Last week we looked at serving one another. We looked at washing each other's feet, serving one another. This week we discovered the significance of loving one another. Those are, those are the marching orders of Jesus Christ. This is what he so desperately wanted to impart to the disciples and what he envisioned being passed on 2,000 years later at 3,000 Hammond Avenue, Superior, Wisconsin. It's the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. And it's important because by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for one another. So be an encourager. How do, we, how do we demonstrate love? What does love look like? Be an encourager. Pray for each other. I gave you a little assignment there. Pray for each other. Hang out together. Serve together. Make sure you forgive one another. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I confess that for these 2,000 years that the church has been around, we, we failed miserably at this. so divided it seems we're more like the world than we would like to admit and so today we just kind of recognize that 
And when we think of it in those terms, that these were among your last words, and this is what you taught us as you were about to depart. Serve one another. Love one another. Lord, we've, we've missed it a little bit. We've worked really hard at being right. We've tried to argue people into the kingdom. We forgot that you just told us to love one another. It is a winsome quality. And I pray that we could purpose in our hearts to love each other as you loved us. It's asking a lot. But that's what we're shooting for. And by that, people on the outside will know that we're your disciples. And I believe it's the most winsome quality of all. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Lord, I pray for the one that's here today. and Maybe they've heard about you, but they don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that something that was said would would lead them towards you. Lord, we confess our sins today. We acknowledge that apart from you, we're lost. And yet with you, as it said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have, have become new. I'm so thankful that you came into my life and you washed my sin away. Because of the work of Calvary's cross, where you gave yourself for us, and your blood was shed. For by the shedding, there can be no remission of sin, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood. You gave your life so that we could be forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that we can be born again. I pray that for anyone here today who's yet to experience that, that they would surrender to you. They say, Lord, I give it all to you. Have your way in my heart. Lord, I want to begin to live for you. Lord, help us to love one another as you have loved us. Well, hey, everyone, thank you for joining us today. Um, before you leave,